Welcome to Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook and Instagram. And please use the hashtag NowChurch. Thank you, and enjoy today's service. Today we're continuing our thought, don't forget to laugh. Don't forget to laugh. Lighten up. The world is a serious place. It's in a serious mess. But you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You're the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. My friend John Mason says this. He says, uh, he says laughter adds to your face value. I love that. He puts together stuff like that all the time. Today's message, we're continuing on with this thought, passwords of praise. In, we're going to look at a couple different passages and kind of weave them together from uh, the book of Mark in the New Testament and Psalms in the Old Testament. Mark chapter 9 and 10, Jesus is having conversations. He's, he's discipling. He's equipping people. And there erupts this argument around him over who's greater, who's, gonna, who's, really, who's really the best. And Jesus, it says, in response to that, says in verse 36 of Mark chapter 9, then he took, he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, I love that image. Jesus takes this child, sets him in the middle, but then takes him in his arms for a second. Says, wow, this is, this is something. This is significant. Takes this child in his arms and he said to them, whoever receives one of these Little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Jesus, you want to see greatness? Here's greatness. In the innocence of a child, here's greatness. And he doesn't finish there because in the next chapter, chapter 10 of Mark, they're still, they're still in the sim, similar setting So it's still continuing the same thought. And it says in Mark 10, verse 13, then they brought little children to him. So they must have seen what he did with with the one and everybody wanted him to touch my child, you know, pray for my child. So they brought little children to him. It was response, it was a continual thought that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. They just saw Jesus say, here's greatness and put this precious, innocent child in their midst and give that child a a hug. And then they go, no, no, don't bother Jesus. He's too busy to touch kids. Don't bother him. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased. Now, he wasn't displeased. He was greatly displeased. He was upset. He was agitated with a righteous indignation. And he basically rebukes them. He said to his own disciples, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, we always say around here, is not some ethereal, some some existential, some um, mystery thing that we get to see when we go to heaven. The Bible says, You are operating the kingdom now. The people of God pray this way. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. In 
The kingdom of God, his will is being done. Jesus said, when you go near to people and you pray for the sick and you heal them and you cast out demons in my name, tell them today the kingdom of God has come near to you. So he said to them, don't forbid kids, for of such is the way God does what he does. Of such is the way that God's system works. Assuredly, I say to you, verse 15, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, God's functional system by which life works best, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Some people try to, and religious people try to interpret that unless you got saved when you were a kid, you can't be saved. That's ridiculous. This is talking about entering into the supernatural life the miracle life of God. Now, I want to weave in a couple of Psalms in here before I finish the text. Psalm 89, verse 15 from the message says this, blessed are the people who know the passwords of praise and shout, who shout on parade in the bright presence of God. Other translations say something like, blessed are those who know the joyful sound of praise because it ushers in God's very presence. Finally, Psalm 16, verse seven, the psalmist says, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I've not set the Lord, excuse me, I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in hell or in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life in your presence. Here it is. In your presence is the fullness of joy, the totality or completion of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Pleasure enjoyment, where there's pleasure, there are smiles, and there is laughter. Let's pray one more time. Father God, would you open the eyes of our heart to take hold of your promises today, to take hold of your word, and to see your glory, to experience what happens as your presence comes to fill us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we've been talking about uh, all the junk that's going on in the world and how we have to resist the temptation to just jump into the pit with everybody else and complain about how bad everything is. Complaining about how bad everything is, identifying all the junk doesn't help overcome the junk. It just perpetuates it. Because now those of us who are supposed to be speaking life end up speaking death with everybody else and jumping in the same thing. Last week we talked about the fact that there is a move of holy laughter. Then in the midst of all of the pain and all of the stuff going on uh, in the world, in the body of Christ, we've gone through these rough moments and we're going through rough times. There are challenges, 
But in the midst of that, God is moving in us with a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory, a joy that doesn't make any sense, a peace that passes understanding, if you will. We, there's something going on in us. Um, Dave Blackman reminded me last Sunday after first service that when we first started the church, we had a, uh, there's a great uh, famous Christian author, a dear friend of ours, John Bevere. Many of you might know his name, but you don't know that he was foundational in the history of our church. He was uh, on our board the first a couple years of our church. He was here, preached many, many times, and he's a prophetic guy, very strong man of God. He said, um, in the first year of our church, he prophesied, this church is gonna be known all over the world and all over the community for joy. It's part of us. It's part of our DNA. Uh, I'll tell you this. We, we even had uh, a young couple one time that came for, to the church for, for a while, for a few months, and left the church. And when, we, when I went and said, hey, we miss you. What's going on? The guy said, well, y'all are just too happy. We could never be happy like you are. And I felt so sad for that person that instead of just embracing that, that you know, I, I think he thought we were, we were all faking it. I think he thought that we were all just here pretending on Sunday. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm all smiles. It's all great. It's all good. It's all good. But that's not real happiness. That's not joy. Last week we talked about an important way to overcome all of the challenges of living in a post-Christian culture. Cultivating laughter. You have to cultivate it. You have to plant it, water it, let it get some sun, and you have to harvest it. Cultivating laughter and a joyful heart. We said you'll never make the world a better place living under a dark cloud. You have to be willing, even in the, even in the midst of a challenge, you have to be willing to laugh in the face, face of adversity. Look at it and laugh. Why? Not because it's not real, but because it has no power over you ultimately. It has no ultimate power over you. Everything. If, when you trust Romans 8, when you trust that all things work together for good, for those who love God, those who are the called according to his purpose... When you, if you believe that, if you can hang your hat on that, and I do, then no matter what's going on, you say, well, I don't see how this is working for good, but it's working. It's not, it doesn't feel good. I'm not excited about problems. How about you? I don't like challenges any more than anybody else does. But the good thing about it is this, that we trust that the final chapter of this story hadn't been written yet. That somehow as we get to the end of this chapter even, God is going to turn this thing and it's going to, it, it, it may not feel good, but it's going to work for good. Ultimately, you're going to look back someday and you're going to say, wow, I'm thankful that God was with me through that, but I didn't see this, 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 and this, and this. We don't, you don't see it when you're in it. I went to clean our, uh, my bathroom mirror. I have a uh, a horrible habit that my wife uh, doesn't, it doesn't make her smile. And that is that at the end of each day, I've got splatter marks on my 
on my mirror. And so I try to be as mindful as I can without waiting for her to encourage me. And so I try to just be proactive and wipe the thing down. Well, I, 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 I wiped it down and it looked really good up close. And then I took two steps back and those doggone things were still there. Those splash marks, had just, they just faded a little bit. And when I was clo- too close to it, I couldn't see it. When you're too close to the situation, and I want to say that, I believe that's a word for somebody that's watching or somebody that's in the room today. You're so close to the pain and the struggle and what you've just been through or what you're going through right now that you can't possibly see that mirror clean again. But I'm telling you, there's a moment coming where you're going to be able to step back and look at it with a different perspective and you're going to be able to see, okay, I can get that and and we're going to clean that up. God's cleaning that up. Amen? You've got to encourage yourself in the Lord like David did in the struggles and in the worst days of his life. Listen, gloom and doom people forfeit all long-term influence. In other words, listen, any gloom, anybody with a, with a gloom and doom prophecy can gather a crowd. But five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, nobody's listening to the people that just keep calling for the end of the world and destruction. Why? Because this world will go on, go on as long as our God is lifted up in it. Do you believe that? In the first part of the text, Jesus is teaching different lessons about life and marriage and even divorce. And he illustrates his message by including this child and then eventually children. He brings them in to teach adults something. And he starts talking about receiving. He said receiving him by receiving children in his name gets you to receive the kingdom. God's way or system of doing what God does. And you have to receive the kingdom as little children. Now let's talk about the difference between childlike and childish. Because this is not an excuse for immaturity. This is not an excuse to be a, a, a professional baby Christian forever. This is not an excuse not to grow up. That's not what this is. This is not about childishness. I want. Right now, our, our youngest granddaughter, Kylan, is about to be two at the end of August. And she's just getting to that place where she's learning to express herself, her opinion. She's got an opinion. Can you imagine? 21 months, she's got an opinion. And her opinion, she wants everyone to know that opinion at certain moments. Precious, sweet child. She really is. Beautiful child. She's got my heart. Just so sweet. She still wants me to you know, take her horsey on my shoulders and when I rock her, on Sunday afternoons, we usually take a little nap watching golf. I like to watch golf on Sundays when it's not football season. And she likes it. 
to go to sleep to. But I, call, I have one rocking chair in the house that, that, that we sit in, and, and she calls it Rocky Rock. She says, she said, so she said to me last night, Rocky Rock, Papa? I said, no, I can't Rocky Rock right now. I can't Rocky Rock right now. It broke my heart. But she learned to express. Even though she's a child, she learned to express. This is what I want. And if she's, she's um, down, she wants to get down. If you say, no, no, no. She goes, down. <laughs> See, there's something about childlike trust. That's what Jesus is talking about. Not childishness. Childlikeness. Innocence. Kids don't overcomplicate things. That's what I believe this passage is about. They don't overcomplicate things. They keep things simple. If mom or dad or Papa and Gigi said it, then they believe it's going to happen and they expect it. When our kids were small, I've said this many times before, but it's worth repeating. If McDonald's was mentioned as a possible reward, they claimed it as a promise. If it was mentioned, if you're good, we might go get McDonald's cookies and ice cream or something like that. Do they still have McDonald's cookies? They still have them? I don't think they have them anymore. Those were, those were so good, weren't they? I like, I, I like those animal cracker type cookies. I would say it as, a, as an incentive for an if-then. If you do this, then we'll do that. Maybe. But once you utter it, as a parent or someone with authority, you, made the, you promised, Daddy. You promised McDonald's. Well, I didn't exactly promise. You said McDonald's. I will never trust you again if you don't take me to McDonald's. But here's the, here's the kicker. <clears throat> Never once, ever, were they concerned if I had the money to pay for it. <laughs> Not once. Neither, if I said, maybe McDonald's, the kids never said, Dad, do you have enough money to go to McDonald's? And sometimes it was close. But they didn't care about that. If I said it, it was a promise. If it was a promise, it was going to be delivered, and they don't care how. That's the simplicity or simplification of a child. They're not trying to figure out how to get there. They're just, if somebody said it, that's all it is. That's why this childlike faith is a, I, I like the phrase, the phrase more childlike trust. Childlike trust that God wants us as his kids to take him at his word, to trust in the promises of his word as a little child. If you healed 2,000 years ago, Father, then you heal today. If you promised healing, then I'm here to claim my healing. I, I, I'm healed in your name because you said it instead of overcomplicating everything and getting it all twisted. I submit to you also that laughter is the sound of happy children at rest and play at home. 
We love when our grandkids are around because you hear sounds that you don't hear with just adults being around. You hear the, we call it the pitter-patter of little feet. And we hear a lot of life. You know, life gets loud sometimes. Sometimes it's only church where people shush you. Life is loud. Life is full on. And when kids are around, laughter is the natural sound of kids playing together, resting together, hanging out. Why do I say that? Because cynicism isn't the natural born tendency of kids. Cynicism is a learned response to chronic disappointment. Usually of adults. If you, if you promise a child, I'll be there to pick you up at a certain time, or I'm coming with presents. If you're not there and you do that a couple of times, that, that, that love, that, that sweetness can turn sour real quickly. Because cynicism, <clears throat> we're not supposed to be cynics, especially at what our Father has said. We're supposed to take him in his word, trust him, believe him. Cynicism is a learned response. It happens because we all get disappointed, but that's why we have to have our expectations in who God is and what God says because he will never disappoint you. Now, will you be disappointed at times because of something you missed or something you thought or a different expectation or the interpretation of what God said? Yes, certainly, we all do. But I'm saying God himself at the end of the chapter is not gonna leave you disappointed. If you're disappointed, you're not at the end of the chapter. Can I say that again? If you're, if you're disappointed right now in the outcome of something that God is working on or God promised, then if you're disappointed, then he's not done working because at the end of the thing, he's gonna turn it and reveal something to you that makes you smile again, makes your heart smile, makes you, makes you laugh again, gives you peace and freedom again and joy. If you're in the middle of a chapter of something, welcome to most of us in the room. We're in the middle of a chapter of something. But let God keep writing that chapter and get a sweet spirit about what he's doing. God wants us to have an expectation of hope that leads to faith. I believe the Lord is calling us to rise above all the noise and all the jaded skepticism of the hour, keeping a sweet spirit even as we maneuver into heavy spiritual warfare. So I want you to know, this message, don't forget to laugh, is not a, a message, the warfare is over. That's not what this message is. We are in a spiritual warfare season. Whether you want to accept it, reject it, or bury your head in the sand like an ostrich, we're in a warfare season. The great news is, in the middle of spiritual warfare, God is gonna give you moments of bliss, moments of smile, moments of blessing, moments of laughter, moments of holy laughter, where it's not something you watch like this kid's video, but something that you experience in the presence of God. 
I just found out a few weeks ago that um, at our pastor's conference, we have our pastor's conference, we're part of um, Wave Collective, which is a group of churches all over the world that uh, we, we meet together every year in Virginia Beach, Virginia, first week of August every year. And I've been able, been able to meet for three years in August. So this is going to be our first one kind of back a little bit more normal. And um, the Lord spoke to Pastor Steve Kelly, our dear friend and pastor. Uh, he's having in a Christian comedian into the pastor's conference. And I thought, wow, don't forget to laugh. How are we going to come up out of this thing? We need the laughter to lead the way. We need, the, we need the joy of the Lord to be our strength and lead the way. <clears throat> in John 15, Jesus begins talking about the vine and the branches. Pastor Tristan, a couple of weeks ago, did a great message. Uh, if you weren't here, you can look at it online on that uh, Memorial Day weekend. Pastor Tristan spoke about the vine and the branches and God's desire for us to stay connected to the vine, Jesus, so we can be fruitful and productive in our lives. But a few verses later in John 15, Jesus tells us why he wants us to stay connected. Why? Verse 11, he said, these things I've spoken to you so that, is implied here, that my joy, my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Joy, full, full Joy. He gave us his word on being connected to the vine so that we would experience his joy becoming full in us. See, it's not just, it's not just earthly happiness. It's his joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Talk about that more in a minute. But understand this. It's it's joy. He wants to fill you. God wants to fill your joy tank right now, and it ain't five bucks a gallon. Hallelujah. He, I said last week, he wants you to be tankful. The joy, your joy tank, whether you know it or not, every person, every person that's born again, every person that has Jesus living on the inside, Sing that song earlier about living on the inside, that water, that living water. Every person that has that living water inside, you have a reservoir in you, a container, a tank. And it's a meter, just like on your car. You can see how the, how the gas gauge is going these days. Some people's gas gauge is just, it just, it just decide to go on strike and go to, to depression. Just look. What's your joy level? What's your joy meter reading these days? If you're flying off the handle at the, you know, at just some little thing that, that last week or last month would have just been something little, and now you're exploding in anger, your joy tank is a mess. The enemy has siphoned and stolen your, your fuel, your joy. You have a reservoir of joy on the inside, but you got to cultivate it. You got to keep working at it because it's not your joy, it's God's joy. Jesus said that my joy may be 
in you and that your joy in that may be full, 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 joyful. It should be a, a hymn of the church, joyful, joyful, we adore you. Joy, what is joy? Let me give you, you know, a lot of definitions, um, dictionary definitions of today, you, get, you just got to throw them out. I love to go to the original Noah Webster's 828, 1828, that's when he wrote it. Noah Webster, great Christian man, he wrote the original dictionary in English in 1828, and he defines joy as this. We'll put it on the screen for you for those of you who like to take notes, both of you that take notes. The, the, the pet, hopefully more than two of you take notes. Joy is defined as the passion or emotion excited by the acquisition or expectation of good. I love that. The acquisition, you have it, or the expectation, the hope that you have it, of good. That excitement of pleasurable feelings, which is caused by success, good fortune, the gratification of desire, or some good possessed, or by a rational prospect of possessing what we love or desire. Joy is gladness, exaltation, exhilaration of spirits. Just leave that up for a second if you would. Do you see that? The, the, the joy, listen, though the Bible talks about happiness, then the word blessing or blessed, it means happy, fortunate, to be envied. Happy, fortunate, to be envied. That's what happiness is. Happy, fortunate, to be envied. That's what blessing is. Happy, fortunate, to be envied. Joy is different because it doesn't emanate from actually having anything. It emanates from your expectation in God of what he promised you would have. That you're trusting him with childlike faith. The interesting thing is the etymology of the word joy is derived from the ancient Latin word for rejoice, which means how you praise or not is how you feel. To access the joy of the Lord, you simply turn in the midst of your pressure in even in moments when you don't feel like it when it's a sacrifice of praise and you turn toward the Lord and you begin to say, thank you. Father, I thank you because you said and because you have done in the past and because I know you will do this because I, I don't know how this is all gonna play out but I know that you're, you love me and you work, you're working this for my good, that at the end of this thing, that this is gonna be, somehow it's actually gonna be better than what I thought was gonna happen if we'd have gone a straight road. Now that we go on the curvy road, you're still gonna get me to the destination of what you say is best. Not what I want, but what you want. How you praise or not is how you feel. If you're someone who is grateful for life and you get up in the morning and praise God regardless of how you slept or how you feel, you're gonna to begin to access this joy from the Lord, of the Lord, and it's gonna start strengthening you spiritually, emotionally, 
mentally, spiritually, physically. In pure logic, in a pure logical sense, and I've used this equation before, but you have to get it, you have to get it. Three scriptures that show this thing. So pure logic, common sense, anointed common sense. In logic, when you learn in school, they say, if this is true and this is true and this is true, then this must be true, right? So let me just give you this, this, this line, okay? Number one, if the Lord inhabits the praises of his people, does he? The word inhabits means that when we're praising him, he comes down in that praise to hang out with us. He literally settles down and sits with you or stands with you as you praise, as you lift them. And I'm not talking about singing songs here. Praise, songs of praise are great, but you can't depend on songs of praise when you don't feel like it. You have to work up a song of praise or you have to start praising him. Lord, I thank you for what you've done. And I remember how I was stuck before, but you already delivered me the last 10 times and I didn't see how to do it. And so you begin to rehearse his goodness and you begin to thank him and you begin to cultivate that grateful heart on purpose, intentionally. You begin to call up those things. If the Lord inhabits the praise of his people, and he does, right? Number two, if in his presence is the fullness of joy, excuse me, and I gave you that scripture a little earlier in our text. If in his presence is the fullness of joy, is it? His essence, his tangible manifested presence. In it, there's an expression of joy. And if the joy of the Lord is your strength, therefore then strength comes from heartfelt praise. When you're feeling weak, you turn to the Lord in the midst of your worst moments and if you can, lift up your hands and you praise him because of who he is and what he's already done to save you in the first place, to love you when you were loveless, to bless you when you were totally away from him. When you, were, when you and I were enemies of God, the Bible says, that he loved us and sent his spirit for us. The Holy Spirit sheds that love abroad in our hearts. Rejoice, access the joy, rejoice. I always say, if you rejoice once and it doesn't work, then rejoice. Man, you guys are slow on the uptake today. <clears throat> Listen. The intentional praise has the power to change the heart. Why? Because the presence of God comes in and in that presence there is joy and that joy begins to get on you, get in you, get through you and you begin to feel stronger. You begin to not, you, it's not just emotional but you begin to affect your emotions as well. Now you're coming up out of the pit instead of jumping in with everybody else. I gotta quit. 
Praise is the password into the very throne room of God. Praise accesses. How many of you forget your passwords once in a while? Especially now, every, every, every app, every company, every website wants you to do a different, a different one than anybody else. Dear Lord, how are you supposed to do that? My, my, my 83-year-old father says to me, these passwords are the bane of my existence. That's what he said. Because he just can't, he can't, they change so fast and then somebody says, well, that doesn't work. So he resets it and doesn't write that down. And then we're all lost trying to help him. But there is one password that is guaranteed to give you access every time 100% of the time, and it is the password of praise. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Hebrews 4, 16 tells us how to do it. Let us come therefore, therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How do we come boldly? (laughs) <laughs> I'm not worthy, God. I'm just not worthy. I beg you. I beg you to help me. Beg you. To... You can beg from now until eternity comes. A thousand years of begging doesn't do what one bold access of praise. Father, you're my dad, and you created this whole thing. And you know the end from the beginning and I'm yours and you love me and I praise you because I know that your grace is sufficient for me. I know that in my weakness, you are my strength. Everything you need is in his presence. Say amen. Amen. So what do you do? What am I saying? I'm saying quit whining. Quit waiting until you feel like praising God. We got it all backwards. Praise goes first. Praise opens the heavens. Like the walls in Jericho, God's people didn't shout praises and adoration to God after the walls fell down. Anybody can praise God when the walls come down. They were instructed to save it all up for six days with silent obedience. There's a hard one for you. And on the seventh day, they walked around seven times. And on the seventh lap, they let loose, not just shouting like, ah! they were shouting praise. Hallelujah. God, you're great. We love you. You're wonderful. Hallelujah. And the shout of those people walking around that city, God's presence came down and pushed those walls straight into the desert floor. Those walls were pushed down by God's presence. Remember, praise produces hope and hope becomes the target of faith. Praise connects your spirit to the flow of the Holy Spirit, moving in kingdom power. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Praise welcomes the presence of God. When you esteem his presence, you will receive his presence when you esteem it, when you value his presence, you'll receive that presence. 
God with us. God is with you. Finally, this, just as King Jehoshaphat led the people of God when they were under imminent threat of annihilation, in one of the most dangerous times to be a God follower, the king said, we're going to seek God and find out what he says about all this. And when the prophetic word came, it was this. This is not your battle. This is the Lord's battle. Send the Levites in first. Send the praisers in first. And the Bible says that the Levites went into the valley where they were about to be an ambush and they lifted their voices loud and high. That's what it says. Second Chronicles 20, 22 says this. Now. I love, the one, I love when the word now is in the Bible so much. Now. When they began to sing, that means when it first started, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord sent ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. My friends, your enemies will be defeated when you begin to lift up the name of your God, when you begin to lift up the name of Jesus over every circumstance and situation, the Bible says, when they began to sing, when they began to praise God, can you give me some sound back there, Pastor Lindsay? When they began to lift up the sound, when they, th their song was simple. This, this is what they sang. For he is good and his mercy endures forever. And you know what they sang after that? The same thing again. This wasn't a top 40 tune. This was, a, this was a song from heaven that began to celebrate his goodness. For he is good. Can you sing that for me, PL? He is good and his mercy endures. And his mercy endures forever. And his mercy endures forever. Just close your eyes for a second. Let the atmosphere change. And his mercy endures forever. Oh, yes. Man, I feel God. Lift your hands up. In his presence. Open your mouth and sing it right now. For the Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good. For the Lord, Lord is, is good, good and His mercy endures forever. Is that the truth? Is that the truth to you today? Praise is the only password you need when you're in trouble. The Bible says, let God arise and let His enemies be scattered. And don't forget to laugh. Let that joy his joy get on you, get in you, work through you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we take authority over the spirits of darkness and depression. We break the gloom and doom atmosphere of our nation and we call on the Lord Jesus Christ to be Lord of this house, Lord of this community, and Lord of this nation. We break every evil force of hell and we say no weapon formed against the people of God shall prosper. And every tongue rising against us in judgment, we condemn the words. 
We break those words. Thank you that when we praise you, Lord, that you go to battle stations on our behalf, that by the time we show up in a certain battle, the enemy has already been defeated by faith and trusting you. Lord, you are worthy of praise and we honor you and we praise you and we worship you. Maybe you're here today and you don't know how to praise the Lord because you were raised, maybe, maybe you didn't have any relationship with God at all, or maybe you were raised in some religious setting that told you that, that praise is reverence and reverential awe always has to be quiet and, and, and no expression and no emotion. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The psalmist refutes that over and over again for 150 chapters that we experience God and he comes and sits down with us. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord of your own heart. You don't know that presence that we're talking about. So you don't know how to value that. The entry level is simply, it's a prayer of surrender. It's a, God, I don't know, but I want you and I give you my heart. In this room, that's the beginning place. You invite Jesus to be in charge should be the king of your heart so that you're not the king of your heart anymore. All over our nation, there have been graduation ceremonies the past few weeks. And thousands and thousands of young people graduating high school and college have heard, the, in essence, the same speech. You can do whatever you want to do, and it's not true. It's a lie. You can't do whatever you want to do. You can only do what God wants you to do. Or you can fight against them for the rest of your life. You can do what God wants you to do. And I'd rather find out what his plans are than what my plans are. Because his plans are better for me than I, than I even want for myself. His plans are exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ever ask or even think, and that's you too. If you're here today and you're trapped right now in the cynicism, the prison walls of all of the struggles and pain of your life or the world, or you're just a worry wart right now, just worrying about everything, worrying's not gonna get you any better. Trusting God is. I wanna pray for you right now before you go. You say, Pastor Richard, I need prayer today. I, this, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in this place. Would you just lift your hand up right where you are? We're not gonna embarrass him. We're not gonna come up to the front, but put your hand up if you're in a situation where you need God right now. We need God to show up. And when you need God to do an attitude adjustment maybe in you, raise your hand. Trust him today. Several hands going up. Lord, I pray for every person whose hand is raised at home, wherever they are, Someone watching in your car, keep one hand on the wheel, please. But raise your heart to him. Lord, I pray for everyone whose hand is up, everyone whose heart is open, that you would reveal Jesus in this situation. We take authority in the name of Jesus and break every evil assignment, every addiction, every bit of unforgiveness and bitterness, all the cynicism from the disappointments that they've experienced 
in their lives. Father God, come and bring healing. Set them free. Set captives free today. In Jesus' mighty name, and whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. Amen. Amen. If you got somebody, put your hands together and give God praise today. He is moving. Thanks for joining us at Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, event registration, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook and Instagram. And please use the hashtag NowChurch. Thank you.